0: Welcome to the New Street X podcast. Today, I am so excited to have a very, very special guest. And that guest is by the name of Vesa. Vesa is a digital art pioneer. For over 14 years, he's been innovating his own processes in the art space. He's been full time in crypto art and NFTs since 2017. As an example of one of the things he's done, in 2013, his digital art project with uh, Bollywood actress Veena Malik reached around 300 million people around the world and received a lot of critical acclaim. Some of his latest ventures include ArtCar.io, which is seen around events in Dubai. He's an art ambassador for SuperWorld, Shisha Finance, Varho VR. And his art's been collected by hedge fund managers, exchanges, CEOs, influencers, and many, many others. So for many years, Vesa has been a digital art pioneer in NFTs, and we're so excited to have him here today. So Vesa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here.
1: Hey, Tony, super psyched to be with you. Uh, It was so much fun hanging out at the Superverse conference and we got to know each other a little bit. And then I'm honored that you asked me to come and join you for this chat session. So I'm looking forward to sharing some things that might be inspiring to people and just hanging out and figuring out what this whole space is about.
0: Totally. And I think that's what people really want to hear. I mean, maybe we could start off by explaining how you got into art and your your career from the beginning because i i mentioned some stuff has happened more recently but what i always love to hear is like where did this all start like where did you get into the how did you get into art and where did your career begin well usually
1: the nightmare introduction where when people start to talk about who they are is like well at the very beginning when i was born but this is this is very close to i was 5 years old and i kind of turned my parents pots and pans into a drum kit i mean i was uh, inspired by michael jackson and james brown and whatever and i guess i just had that kind of rhythm thing inside of me. And I loved drums. I loved rhythm uh, and music and art and immersed myself in movies and whatever it was. And I had this as a kid, I had these dreams of becoming a rock star and I had a few bands and, and music was really my first love and went to guitars and st- but very soon after, it was starting to be Photoshop. It was starting to be digital filmmaking, started to become a thing. And I admired greatly like Ridley Scott and David Fincher and all of these kinds of characters. So I went to film school eventually. I became a film director by by sort of trade and made music videos, documentaries and television series and things like that. But then I was wholly unsatisfied with my opportunities because I wasn't exactly on my road to becoming an A-list Hollywood director by a certain time but around 2007 and 8, I was making these uh, television series about dogs and, and things like that. And while I love dogs, and it was great, and we got to do an impact with that show as well about educating people of what was important about understanding their dogs, because it was mostly actually about educating people as opposed to what it was that they educate their dogs. It was a kind of reversal thing. But I had this sort of crisis of everything. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? And I'm in Helsinki, and uh, I want to be doing these uh, sort of fantastical like feature films like i was inspired by fight club and blade runner and whatever all those kinds of things so i came up with this idea with this crisis that okay what if i started body painting on people like the problem was that i really couldn't paint at that point i hadn't painted like throughout my life almost at all and and this leads to uh, to an early childhood memory when i was in, uh, in in school and we were painting with watercolors and my teacher came next to me and looked from above like down like this at what I'd been making with watercolors and and said well you obviously don't have any talent in painting whatsoever and i was like I had to agree because I was probably thinking of a drum beat and I hated watercolors. Because if you remember, you know, you make these things and they become wet paper and it looks like nothing. And, and it, quite frankly, I thought it was a little girly to do things like that when I was that age, you know. So I remembered that I had this whole thing in, in my head that even though I was making music, I was ma- inside of films alone, I was directing, producing, shooting, editing, acting, all of these kinds of things. But I had this thing in my head like, I can't paint, I can't paint, I can't paint because of that moment in time. And then I realized, well, okay, it's actually true. I can't paint. But what if I did a body painting on someone and photographed that? The proportions would be right. I could light it. I could photograph it. I could probably play around with paint And photograph those paintings and then put it together with Photoshop and it might look like something. And then I found the first crazy enough lady who came to my home studio to be body painted. And I I remember I was so nervous that I like when she came in, I I poured the coffee all over the floor and, you know, all all of this kind of stuff. Because I was like, do I have the audacity to ask her to take her clothes off and apply the paint and, and do this kind of thing? It was a really delicate type of thing. But as soon as I saw the first artwork in front of me uh, called The Escapist that I made, I realized that I no longer wanted to make films. I no longer wanted to do anything else apart from these things because it was a new thing and it was a whole world that I could do in high production value with very little money. And I could showcase the world that this is my uh, imagination.
0: This is what I can do. So that's how I landed
1: in digital art in
0: 2008. And when you did this, so in 2008, at that point, did you quote unquote, like convert to being a full-time artist? Because it sounds like you had like a mixture of experiences, particularly in film. 2008, did you make that plunge? Because I mean, you clearly sound like someone with a very strong creative artistic background, but the idea to become a full-time digital artist, I mean, maybe I'm just thinking very practically, or like commercially, you know, how, how that it's a difficult path to choose. So did you make that decision completely and fully in 2008?
1: Yeah, I did. Because actually, I had been making these uh, television series back then. And that was quite nice money. So I was able to take a half a year off and then launch the show. And my, my grandmother actually came in with a little bit of money to help to, to launch the first show as well and, and things like that. But that is, of course, the time when the economy crashed. So that that was a pretty hard lesson. A little before then, I just learned how money works, essentially through these documentary films. So it coincided with this kind of Also societal activism that became a part of the whole thing. It was really difficult because I was an entrepreneur with my film production company. I was an artist with these new visual things that weren't conventional at all. And then I was also a money activist. So this leads a little bit beforehand of how I landed in Bitcoin and and nfts so early but it was it was an incredibly difficult thing but I felt wholeheartedly that this is the direction I should be heading towards and I was able to because they were so new and they were kind of cool and I met met some interesting people I was able to do gallery shows the national news started talking about me and kind of even my first show was in the biggest trade paper in Finland and this was kind of like the Times of Finland also covered it and and you know the people took notes noticed that there's something interesting going on here uh, and I was able to monetize it to a degree, but there was a lot of thin, thin, very, I would say, suffering filled years that are, are are sort of prefacing everything that then started happening like a superhighway that opened when I got into Bitcoin and crypto art in 2017.
0: Maybe like if we were to squeeze that in, if I want to, if I'm able to recount that timeline correctly. So 2008, you commit to becoming an artist full time, you start putting on shows, start getting some traction. But between 2008 to 2017, it wasn't an easy journey, as it is for most artists, you don't just start making lots of money to begin with. What happened in 2017? Like, was that when you discovered, I guess, Web3, crypto, Bitcoin stuff? And how did that happen exactly?
1: No, well, there's a couple of things that preface it. I mean, I crashed and burned with my production company. I was still trying to make films, but my heart was no longer in it. But the economy tanked, and no one was doing the kinds of things that uh, I was interested in anymore. Basically, I I did a bankruptcy. Uh, In 2010, I also lost my health. Uh, My back got screwed up. My lungs got screwed up. I ended up in intensive care. Uh, I nearly lost my life. There, there, There was quite a lot of things that happened. And, of course, as an entrepreneur... As an entrepreneur, when you lose your health and you can't work for a year, uh, then the bills keep coming in, but you don't have an income, then that's a pretty terrible position to be in. So those are just some of the things that I had to fight through. And right at the time when I was coming out of the hospital, really, I came across this video by this Bollywood actress called Veena Malik, where she was put on this sort of trial by social fire thing. And I was really inspired by who she was as a person. And basically then kind of got in touch with her agents and and pretty much then went from hospital kind of learning how to walk again uh, to London to meet this uh, incredible lady. And then that led into the project that then became the Veena Malik project where we made these six artworks over the span of two years. Uh, And when we released them, um, it was essentially the, the BBC World, Times of India, Pakistan Tribune and so forth. We reached about 300 million people. And we impacted most importantly a couple of cultures quite profoundly as we did this. Uh, but the, the thing is because they were digital originals and the topic was something that for some reason, even though the art world said that this is the topic that they want to talk about, the women's empowerment and these kind of controversial ideas of how, how we've been treating women and whatever. Then I got in touch with, I think about 200. 200- 2,500 museums all across the world and none of them would have this project, even though everyone was universally praising it to be beautiful and a bridge building process and, and so forth. So it was, um, I kind of, in 2015, had to leave my country of Finland almost like an asylum seeker because none of the doors were opening to me and none of the galleries would have me. And I couldn't figure it out why why that was and maybe had something to do with what I'd said about the monetary system, I guess. That might be a part of the reason why Finnish society remained close to me. So with my wife... We packed up this little car and we drove uh, through countries to arrive in London into this little place because a friend of mine collected an artwork for me. So I had some money and we came in and we started this journey of trying to figure out how we would maybe better fit into the scene in London. And turns out I didn't. Now, London was potentially even more conservative than Finland was to a degree. And the first two years in London, let's say from 2015 to 17 were absolutely miserable. I really wasn't making almost no money at all. And we were living in a place where it had mold in it. So I got asthma the six months that we were living in this place. And then ultimately, I went in 2017 for a coffee with a friend of mine who said that I'm actually, you know, he confessed that he's a crypto investor. He'd been doing that for a year and he just paid himself the day before for a year and still had plenty. And, and he said that because he knew that I had a background in understanding the monetary system. Essentially, he'd been trying to find an artwork that would be of, of sufficient the, like quality on his office wall and he said that he couldn't find anything yet because those people didn't really exist they weren't quality artists that came into the scene at that point and i just went down the rabbit hole i came across andreas Antonopoulos. i came across the bad crypto podcast and these were basically my first two introductions to the world of bitcoin and uh, i could i lost the ability to sleep for four months i i went straight into the rabbit hole I formed artforcrypto.com, and uh, just a few like weeks after, I had the first Artworks up, and got in touch with uh, NewsBTC, and they made the first article about what I was doing. And then they allowed me to come in and start writing about the cultural side of Bitcoin. And then that led to Mo Levin, the founder of the North American Bitcoin Conference, to just, like, we, we had a conversation. He's like, listen, dude, I want to give you a free booth to come and exhibit in Miami and check out the community and what, what's going on there. And then from there, a superhighway opened. So it was really America, Miami, then World CryptoCon with Adam Williams in 2018 in Las Vegas that opened up a lot of portals and long way journey around. Then I'm landing here in Dubai and I now live here and it's becoming one of the crypto hubs of the world. It's incredible. And the amount of opportunity here is fantastic and people are builders. So we're very happy here now.
0: That's amazing. Now... When you first got into Bitcoin and crypto, just to clarify, so you started creating like art inspired by Bitcoin or you started, you said it sounds like from what I've heard, you were like writing about maybe how Bitcoin and crypto relates to art, creativity and culture. And then you were also creating new types of art that was inspired by this new interest of yours. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is actually a fantastic point and something very fun for me to talk about and important to talk about is that the first crypto art really wasn't about the technology, as in that the art utilizes the technology. It was artists who came in with their subject matter to support the new money movement, the real Bitcoiners, the people who like understood how the monetary system works and then they started making art to support the new emerging Bitcoin scene and the crypto scene. So, And this got very washed very early in the the sort of when NFT started to develop, because the subject matter was, of course, a little bit controversial to many people wanting to come in and the businesses and so forth. So crypto art really is likely the most important art movement to happen in five or six decades. And most people don't even know that it existed, nor that it was important, because Topically and thematically, even though we, of course, utilize the technology, we started verifying the artworks on the Bitcoin network or Ethereum network and utilizing NFTs in this kind of way. And you had the rare Pepes and whatever. But NFTs really are more, they were born from the sort of even shitcoin mentality a little bit. It was more about something that was maybe MTV evolving into MTV 2.0. So Crypto art and NFTs, even though they get lumped together, are actually philosophically, they're about as polar opposite often as you can get. And the people who came into NFTs, they didn't really know, for the most part, what the thing was about. But you have some OGs, you have Lucio Poletti, you have Trevor Jones, you have Colby and many of the other guys who were in the beginning phase of things like 2018 and 19, who started building the NFTs. They still understood the core of things. But then it uh, became more like Park and people came in, and I'm not sure if, if many of the, the people who came in after that understand where we really came from. And my a lot of the opportunities that I was given is like I made a commission piece directly for the Litecoin Foundation. I mean, Charlie Lee paid me in Bitcoin. I've, I've done commissions with Charles Hoskinson and many of the early builders, Tone Vays and whatever. I was afforded these because I had some skills that I could contribute, but also because I had the authentic point of view that art should contribute to the themes and building of the whole of the space and its community and what's going on as opposed to just becoming a money grab like NFTs became very quickly. So this is a little bit the development of how how things have gone in the space.
0: That's fascinating because I didn't didn't realize that, at least from your experience, there's like delineation between people that have Gotten to NFTs maybe in like the last year as a way to like, oh, let's more, make more money. Let's use it as a new revenue stream. And then there's also a difference between people who are inspired by the sort of philosophical social movement behind cryptocurrency and Web3 like a couple of years beforehand. And what they were creating was art. That was more of a statement rather than purely a technology to to monetize better. When you in 2017 started to experience this crypto art movement, how did that compare to the rest of the art industry? Because... You, of course, I'd imagine had friends from across like art and do they think you're crazy, man? This is so weird and like specific and niche, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, of course. I mean, there's people who still think that I'm crazy for being a part of it, but I think why... It's so important is, of course, the metaverse, the kinds of opportunities that are afforded to artists and what they can build together with all the different kinds of businesses that are happening with that. It offers so many new opportunities. But one thing currently, especially from the fine art point of view, that still makes this an inconvenient position is essentially the quick flip uh, sort of pump and dump culture. And some of the, I, I mean, it's not even controversial to say now anymore. I mean, I've been talking about the wash trading thing ever since its inception. But now with, uh, you know, the coin analysis things coming coming out and, you know, people know how, how it was actually a part of it was done. So what's important is that we build with quality people and quality projects and quality conferences and, and thus far, towards a more sustainable culture in NFTs where fine artists to whom it's very alien to have this kind of I'm buying something with 0.1 ethereum that turns into 300 th- ethereum like over a few months this is really the reason why many superb artists aren't coming in because they don't yet understand the foundations of how the monetary system works and then they when they look at NFTs and the culture itself there's very few people who still speak the language of art. They're very competent in saying how to flip things, how to monetize, how to, let's say, incentivize and have utility and all of these different kinds of things. But it's really alien to someone who spent their whole life learning the language of art and the substance of art. And then no one talks about the language itself. No one talks about their careers, their contributions, their things like that, that have taken them a lifetime to build. So, This is why I'm very happy in the space right now to see the galleries are coming in, the auction houses are coming in. People who have a background in understanding where art is coming from, from a much, much longer lens and how we're arriving there with a little bit more. You can still do incredible gains, absolutely just massive gains. And I think the fine art NFTs are going to eclipse a lot of the different kind of collectibles, especially through some individual artists of what they can do. But we need a little bit more of a sustained mentality of how to endorse and embrace quality as opposed to the very quick mentality that seems to be dominating the space at the moment.
0: So what I'm hearing is that, particularly for people in the more fine art space, the, the language and the culture of NFT art right now is a bit foreign because it's so much focused on quick flipping, making gains without necessarily the longer term view of like the appreciation of the art or someone's career. Does that change like in the last let's say 6 to 9 months, you know, we've seen a lot of evolution in the NFT space and art space. Do you see as you're mentioning like more gallerists coming in, the NFT space becoming more acceptable and encompassing of fine artists as well?
1: Well, I would say in like this that it's uh, if you take the big picture, this is that i i find at least to be quite a comprehensive map of the of the big picture is that we started making art to begin with with body painting and cave painting those are arguably the oldest forms of art i mean cave painting for the same reason as we paint canvas today and body painting to transform our consciousness you know to paint for war or you know to look at the milky way funny you know you you put yourself in a different kind of mindset And that evolved into, let's say, religion, like the Sistine Chapel and those powerful images that are divinely inspired ideas and those kinds of things. But it really, art is a consciousness-altering tool at its foundation. And then Andy Warhol starts his uh, sort of silkscreen process and the, the whole 60s scene that turns into the factory. It's sort of snarky social commentary. It's also fancy things for the rich and a rock star scene and all that. And that leads to Richard Nixon taking out the gold standard from underneath the dollar in 71. And that's when the fiat era really begins and the printing of art and kind of where it forked to is that you have uh, like Damien Hurst, you have uh, Jeff Koons, and the kind of sexy death and Miami scene that you fly in and wear, with an airplane and spend millions of dollars, and then fly back to Ibiza, and you know that scene. And then the more credible, let's say, state-sponsored, grant-based art has been predominantly left-wing, sort of Marxist foundation. Foucault, Derrida, kind of the relativist theory of of things, but it always seems to be going back to resentment type of bracket avenue. So let's say the last 50 years of art has been really fancy things for the rich or left wing political propaganda. You could pretty much put it in that bracket if you're not in the niches of art. So now what is possible through the metaverse, what is really, really cool is that you can all of a sudden start to express these ideas going all the way back to the beginnings of art from the cave painting sort of archetypal metaphysical ideas and kind of spiritual ideas. You can take that spectrum of things. Or then you can be expressing yourself as an avatar that has a car for feet and an alien head and a rocket to take you through the metaverse. So the topical expansion of what is possible for artists now is like the doors being blown wide open that has been super narrow for the past 50 years. And this is really, really exciting. What you can be building, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with uh, having political messages or left-wing, right-wing, whatever it is, I'm not personally invested in either of them, I'm more about balance and good arguments of what is trying to discover the truth of things so it's just a fascinating time to be building these things because it allows so much more creativity opportunity for monetization and like the fine art world actually has a hell of a lot to learn from the monkeys community but on how they can energize and monetize and and DAO and all of these different solutions that we now have in order to energize fine art they have a lot to learn from but you know in order for the best of the art world and the best of the NFTs to come together, I'm most excited to be building with places like Superworld now are building my gallery. We're doing another virtual metaverse gallery with the cornerstone land with, with Zoan. That is just going to it's mind blowing these concepts that we we've come up with and what we're going to be launching soon as well. And just building with quality conferences like Gen Events here with James McGee and and all that what has led me to kind of meet these incredible people who are, of course, they want resources and they want to be comfortable in their lives. But they're also really about societal change on a level as well to help what's around us because I don't want to be a miserable billionaire. You know, I've met many of those. There's something more important happening here that is exciting. So I, I, I want to build with those people.
0: Well, I'm inspired by your description of how NFTs in the metaverse have really opened up new new versions of art that that are expansive that didn't really exist before. And it sounds like you're involved with so many different projects in that space. Maybe first, could you mention maybe focus on one or two projects in the NFT art space that people are working on that you think maybe would be particularly mind blowing for someone in the audience who might not be aware of this? And then right after that. Love to hear about some specific projects you're working on right now. So maybe first, stuff that you think is pretty fascinating, amazing by other artists that's crazy and brand new. And then second, moving on to some of the projects you're most excited about, your personally working on right now.
1: One of the things that I just actually saw, I thought was pretty mind-blowing, actually, was this, uh, I think it was a Lamborghini Huracan or an Aventador that someone had purchased as a car and made a promotional film of how they, they actually exploded that Lamborghini. And it was recorded from multiple different angles. And then those parts of that car were made into NFTs that you could, you could buy. And I, I thought that the way that they presented it in the context of, of the, the sort of history of art and, and kind of the world burning a little bit around us and kind of like as a snarky social commentary, utilizing NFTs, I thought that that was very beautifully executed and kind of cool. I really like put skin in the game, have something physical in the world that turns into an abstract because I thought those things like the Burnt Banksies and whatever, like super lame. I didn't like that at all. But to take it to that level, I thought was pretty damn brilliant, actually. I, I enjoyed watching that video. I had to watch it twice immediately. So, And my apologies, I forgot the name of the artist who did it. It was a few days ago that I watched it. But that's something I'm sure if you put down exploded Lamborghini NFT, that that'll come up on whatever search engine you have. So that was kind of cool. And I'm doing something a little bit similar myself. I work with here uh, with a guy called Dr. Marwan Al-Zarouni. The main reason why I'm here in Dubai is actually him and Saeed Al-Darmaki from Shisha Finance. And we're building things together. But what happened a little over a year ago is that I came here to Dubai for the first time via the great crypto granny, Anita Kalergis, because she spotted me from the Tone Vase podcast. And then, you know, we got to become friends and she invited me over and she introduced me to Marwan. And, you know, basically the guy is the CEO of the Dubai Blockchain Center. He's just, he was just named by Cointelegraph as the 84th most influential person in crypto. And among the many things that we discussed when I first met him, I just showed him this picture, this picture that I'd already made in 2014. That I thought was really cool because I was inspired by Elon Musk a lot, and what what he was doing as a strategy—that it's an electric car, but where it actually leads to is a whole transformation of the electricity and mobility grid of the world. So this is what it looks like. This was the concept car that I just showed him, and I had no idea he was a massive car guy. And a couple of months later, he calls me and he says that, "Hey, Vesa, I've bought 17 cars for our project that we're going to be turning into NFTs." Like okay and it's now expanded to 55 cars and then of course my you know thinking gear really went into next level because if you think of a car, for the most part, if it's not a rare collectible car, and even in those cases, it's sometimes tricky, is that a car is really a liability. So I started wondering how to invert the value pyramid of a car. And the first one that we did together with Dr. Marwan was his 2017 Tesla. So because it's a 2017 Tesla, even though it's owned by someone with a lot of provenance, it, it means that it's a 30000 $35,000 car. So I thought, okay, so if it's wrapped into a unique digital artwork of mine, that is about, it's the first one that I did about the DeFi movement. It's called Compound Defiance. And it's actually this artwork that is behind me. It has the Ethereum logo sort of embedded into the middle of it in a very subtle way. I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And then I started thinking, well, what if it had a virtual reality asset tied to it as well? And then approximately, you know, a while ago, I then met Mika, from the Zoan company, who is a virtual reality company in Finland. They have worked with Super Bowl and amazing virtual concerts and they just birthed this new exciting metaverse called cornerstone land and it's photorealistic it's something because i didn't get a lot out of like sandbox and things like that because they look a little childish and they're not really great ways to present art anyway the aesthetics of most of these worlds haven't been really something that is exciting to me But when i saw their metaverse i was like this is mind-blowing this is the same level as the best computer games in the world are and it's photorealistic We really hit it off. We became friends, and he told me about Cornerstone Land. And then the idea started to come about that what if you were able to race these cars in the metaverse? What if you buy the whole stack that you get like a – so you get the physical car, you get the artwork NFT that is wrapped around the car. Then you get the virtual reality asset of this car that gives you access – into a metaverse unique club where you get to race these cars. You get to build your teams, soup up the cars. You get to win prize money, whoever wins that race. And those buying the tickets to this races, they can bet on the drivers, they can whatever. So if you think of the, the whole stack of value is that it goes from a liability going down in value into something that is an artwork in multiple levels that gets you access to a world where you can also earn residual income. I mean, no one's yet been able to to kind of show me a, a sort of more comprehensive evolution of NFTs as a use case, really. I mean, it's incredibly exciting of what we can do with it. And now I'm about to get one of these first art cars into Sotheby's as well, the Sotheby's London in April. It's going to be a super cool Ferrari and an OG piece of mine that I did already back then. And, you know, it's just opened up. It's it's like you can sense why I'm so excited to be in Dubai and building with
0: these each- Yeah. So, sorry, could you explain that? So So for someone... It's one NFT attached to each car, or is the car you you purchase like fractional ownership in the in the car through like several NFTs, or is it like just sorry? could you explain that again exactly how the NFT works for the car and the art around it?
1: We're still thinking about how how to execute it properly, and I'm not sure if it's too wise for me to go into the details uh, super much, but I suppose it could be fractional ownership of that NFT as well, and maybe that's a way in how to own a part of the, let's say it's a team, even though it's one car that starts to race, then maybe there's, there's an cool incentivization model there, actually, if I think of it. But thus far, I've really made it as a thing that it's a one-of-one, that it's a whole stack of things. And then, you know, that once you own the asset, if you want to fractionalize it, that's another thing. But we might offer that as a service as well. It's actually a pretty cool idea. But what does an art car race in the metaverse look like? I mean, what kind of sponsorships could you have along the racetrack? And how does that feed into the economics of the whole thing? And it's just so cool because it... A part of my heart goes into education. It goes into what blockchain is, why money is important to understand as a system and things like that. But I mean, as a journey to someone on the streets of Dubai who's barely heard of Bitcoin, what that becomes is a whole journey. It's a literal vehicle to take you to the metaverse and, and these value discussions. Because Dr. Marwan was saying that there was, a, there was a, just a lady who came to her parking spot when he was going in, into the Tesla That said that I've been here 10 minutes staring at this car and first I thought it was the car that was the valuable thing. But then I started looking at the artwork and now I'm not sure which one is more valuable. And then that leads into the conversation. Oh, it's actually also a virtual reality asset. And then it's an access to a club and then it's a way to maybe earn money. And then so all of these different things. So it just naturally takes you on a journey that becomes something that opens up your mind. Maybe you're in the couch business. I don't know. Maybe you start to think because of that, of what you can do with couches. You know, who knows where this leads to, but it's this thing that just kind of clicks and makes people smile and they go like, holy shit, that's pretty
0: incredible. You know, I see exactly what you're saying here. Now, I'm I'm imagining what you're talking about is is something that is truly like on the frontier of what art means about using NFTs, using physical items like cars or or couches or whatever. Now, you talk about education and onboarding someone into this. I know personally, and I'm, I'm sure you do, too, like a lot of artists who are still either don't understand NFTs or are skeptical of it or are turned off by the entire scene and how things come across. What do you do personally when you talk to someone who might not be as enthusiastic as we are about NFTs, who might be an artist? How do you try to help them understand why it's so important?
1: Well, for artists in particular, I usually try and send them a documentary, like a half an hour thing like Bitcoin Beyond the Bubble. Even though it's an oldie, it's kind of a goldie because I get why artists wouldn't be inspired by a new money movement that have a lot of scams involved and pump and dumps and they've heard all of these different stories and they might have heard about what's going on from CNN or you know something like that that they wouldn't be inspired but once you get what Bitcoin is what problem Bitcoin came to solve how it's really about opening up the monetary arteries of a central centralized banking system that has been robbing people blind of their futures and why the surrounding institutions that we have are in this sort of death spiral, whether to do with universities or media conglomerates or things like that, why they feel so stifling as institutions and how they're rooted deeply into the fiat monetary system then when you learn what bitcoin really does you kind of go like oh that's important this is what we actually need in the world and then that leads into nfts and what they're doing in the metaverse and whatever it is it's to get authentically inspired by what the technology provides us as a societal change tool that is absolutely necessary and vital at this point, that leads you to explore it in a way that suits you, where you feel comfortable and authentically being inspired by something that you might have thought is just garbage to begin
0: with. That's an interesting lesson. I feel like hopefully people can, can take that and get inspired themselves to bring their art into the NFT Web3 space. Now, I'm curious as well, how do you approach you know, one part of any art project is the creation of of the piece itself but the other part is how you can rally a community around that how do you do the the marketing distribution commercialization or at the very least how do you build like your fan base people that support and follow you how is that something that you've approached over the last few years and particularly has that changed the way you approach that in the last year considering the rise of nfts
1: one of my biggest challenges has been marketing branding and community building because I've come to learn that I have a mild version of Asperger's which is this sort of thing of autism that people have and I'm not very good at sometimes social cues and I'm not very good at the sort of social game which you know the the majority of the crypto thing is based around community and things like that I'm just not very good at it so I don't focus on that a lot my focus has been on the quality projects and connecting with people who are also building this kind of infrastructure and ideas and whatever it is. But I'm fortunate now that I'm starting to be in, in, a, in a position where marketing companies and PR agencies are interested in what I do and they want to help me build my socials and the marketing and investor relations and, and things like that. So it's slowly coming, but it was more important for me to build the foundations right and stand for the things that I actually stand for and be very transparent and open about these things so that ultimately that arm can come and energize the sort of digital wealth that I've been building or these relationships that I've been building building for 14 years. But really, quite honestly, those are the things that I've sucked at most, which were super important to build community. Like, I hate the way Discord looks. I don't want to spend any time there as much as I understand how important it is for crypto. You know, but I'm just naturally more of a person who, who wants to build, behind the scenes, all of these cool things, and then, you know, connect more with people who are great at that thing. And finally, luckily, that's that's coming to be a part of the equation. So I'm very happy about that.
0: No, I think that's another thing, too, where there's room for more people slash companies slash organizations slash like groups to help the community building side of things for artists. Like I think from my own personal experience, like I I know a lot of artists or creatives who tend to need help when it comes to things like marketing, distribution, branding, like community building. And that will be the case as well for any sort of web three version of a creative or artist as well. Now I asked kind of running out of time here, but I asked the same last two questions for anybody on the podcast. One, where can people find you like website, social media, et cetera, et cetera. And two, any last message you like to leave the audience? Okay, well, people can
1: find me via artforcrypto.com. There's most of the relevant links and things like that, and it's art by Vesa ESA, on Twitter and Instagram. So that's maybe the the ways to reach me easiest. And then, inspiring message. I, I guess it's it's the thing that you know, like I was saying, that I'm really inspired by Elon Musk and, and all of the different kinds of things that he's doing as societal change. And first before that, it was Steve Jobs and Nikola Tesla. And, you know, this lineage of these great people who are changing the world. And I think, like I was saying, that we started with body painting and cave painting. Now where we're at is that we can build these metaverses. But if you really think of the the inspirational layer of NFTs truly... I think it is that Andres Antonopoulos, he introduced me to the whole idea that where cryptocurrencies are most important are in places where the fiat systems are most unstable. So India, Africa, many places you you will have people who, let's say in remote villages in Africa, you'll still have cell phone towers and mobile phones, even though you don't have the Industrial Revolution benefit. And many, many people were cut out from that. So we have about 3.5 billion people without a bank account in the world. Now, Elon Musk is trying to transform the energy grid, and he's going to Mars and whatever it is. But to most people, before we reach Mars and these sort of space resources and things like that, that's such a distant, distant thing for the majority of the people on the planet, and especially the, the ones who are least privileged. So... But even in remote villages, you might get an internet connection, you might have one laptop, or you might have something like that. So, what does the world look like now that through NFTs you can get to have digital ownership of land, buildings, services, drum beats, books, whatever it is, in a totally different way than before? And you get to start birthing these metaverses. What does it look like in five to 10 to 20 years in the least privileged communities around the world when they realize that they get to birth new economies? through which the virtual can start to influence everything that is going on in the physical space. We know that many societies that are doing well, they take care of their environment the best. Of course, the better that the people are feeling and the more empowered that they are, the the happier place this world is, the less, you know, you can take it to any extent of idealism that you want. And of course, there's going to be a lot of problems. In one sense, you could say that we're building the matrix. You know, that's a little bit of a Uh, (laughs) boo-boo. But It solves a lot of problems. It solves a lot of different things like, you know, my immutable characteristics. I can't help the fact that I'm a white, middle-aged, straight guy from Finland. And, uh, you know, someone from the favelas in Brazil can't help what they look like. But in the metaverse, you can look whatever you want to look like you can have a rocket for a head and alien feet and no one cares so what is the opportunity for all of us involved to build these things where we can surpass some of the problems that we can't surpass in the clunky world but once we surpass them in the metaverse those can actually help us communicate better in the real world as well and i think that is super super inspiring and something that i want to contribute to and build with
0: that is a very inspiring, heartfelt message for us to, to, to conclude here. Thank you so much for the time, Vesa. Really appreciate it. Tony, thank you so much. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to New Street X. You can learn more about Vesa in the show notes and learn more about New Street at newstreet.com. Make sure you like, follow, subscribe, and give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.